Hello and welcome to the Minaz and Scott podcast, also known as the Scott and Minaz podcast. Um, it's late October and recently at the Tree of Life synagogue in Pittsburgh, unfortunately there has been a, a mass killing and this evening uh, Minaz organized an event in Riverdale, New York to honor the dead and to bring together the community, the Jewish community in particular, but um, Catholics, Muslims, uh, everyone of faith, bring together uh, everyone at, at the city center in Riverdale and to talk about um, issues of faith and reconciliation and you know comfort really in this kind of in this time. Um, and I was, I, I listened to your talk today, uh, and listened to the faith leaders, uh, talk today, and I was really impressed by how you kept it, uh, non-political. So, was that a, a conscious effort? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, <clears throat> today is October 30th, 2018. Um... Yes, uh, it was it was a conscious effort on my part to keep it non-political, which means I didn't want anyone talking about our administration and having any kind of hate or any kind of feeling about the administration. I wanted everyone who came to the rally, which is over 200 people, to think about what it means to stand up for one another and also to remember the ones that that have perished and also to give each other hope to see the hundreds of people come together at a vigil and a peace rally rather than pointing fingers at one another yeah the uh, faith leaders from around the the community really uh, rallied around you in this case and I want to just start with Rabbi Katz, who um, had the opportunity to sort of open the floor for the, the Jewish community, and um, he, and it, you'll hear that in this in this piece, he sort of equates you to the idea of a peace. Community received after the attack on the synagogue in Pittsburgh was from Professor Afridi saying, I am with you, and I want to organize an evening where we can stand in solidarity. Professor Afridi is a Muslim woman. She teaches at a Catholic college, and she's the one who called us all together here. At Shalom. You are peace. That was uh, his opening statement to the crowd, and the, uh, the crowd was uh, considerable, <clears throat> 200 plus for sure, and um, um, at the end of the event, I think uh, one of the most more poignant points was that the NYPD was thanked because it was quite a big crowd, but uh, also uh, individuals in the police department in Pittsburgh were uh, injured in this event, so it was a really a good connection to... Um, 
the police department who really helped to support this event. Did you guys come, when I see you guys, did the, the faith leaders come together with a uh, game plan? Um, we did. Um, Scott, we, um, I put out a message on Saturday right after I heard about the Pittsburgh shooting to the interfaith clergy in Riverdale, which I belong to. Um, I said, okay, I'm putting this together, and this is when it's going to happen. And I started putting it on social media. And then uh, on Sunday, I was at open house at Manhattan College all day. My assistant and I put a poster together, and uh, we just it just went viral in a sense in the community. But I think it went even further than the community in some ways because people in Chicago were asking me about when this was going on and who they could tell, their relatives, people they knew. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something, I, I think because I work on anti-Semitism and I've been sort of like a howling woman for quite some years about the rise of anti-Semitism. And of, co- of course, this last year, the statistics are like 60% on the rise ever um, in a year in terms of looking at earlier years in the United States. And then, of course, I work in Europe, and so I know about that. So I, I, you, I, okay. I've also been really concerned about it. So for me, this was sort of, okay, we need to wake up and understand but, what's you know, going for, on. For someone like you, even who is fairly aware of the statistics and what's going on. I mean, give me your impressions of when you heard about this calamity this weekend. It was Saturday, of course. It was Shabbat. It was a naming ceremony. My response was complete shock, despair, a feeling of loss, feeling of complete utter helplessness and at the same time I wasn't surprised well let me give you um, the audience a sort of um, feeling of how you opened the uh, vigil tonight and I want to get your own feelings and your own statements Everyone. Shalom. 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 Peace be upon you. Peace be upon you. Thank you to everyone who's here. Thank you for everyone who's here this evening for our peace rally that we stand in unity as Americans. My name is Dr. Freedy. I run the Holocaust, Genocide, and Interfaith Center at Manhattan College. I come from a LaSallean Catholic college that has allowed me to have the compassion and passion for all faiths and human beings. As a Muslim, I stand with you today in full solidarity where my brothers and sisters are raising money for the victims of Pittsburgh. We are with you. We are one. There is no need to thank me. 
and to stand with me in solidarity. I say to you, as I have been told in my tradition, that there is no difference between an Arab and a non-Arab. There is no difference between a black and a non-black. God created us from a single soul. We are one human being. There should not be a difference between you and I, whether I wear something or I don't. This is the message of America. This is who we are. And I welcome you today. I welcome all of the interfaith leaders in this community. I welcome our elected officials here, my students, Muslim Students Association here, my Jewish students, my Catholic students, my representatives at my college, like my president, who is here somewhere. And I want to say thank you for coming out. And you can always count on Manhattan College to bring us together, always and forever. I thought it was a pretty good extempo um, introduction. Um, Sorry about the heating. We live in an old house, everyone. Yeah, well, it's, there's nothing like winter in our house. Um, it, you really had a lot to say for someone who was doing extempo. Let's, you know, a little behind the scenes. I know you were a little bit um, nervous about it, but um, just tell me about where that introduction came from. It was it seemed so real. I uh, when I got up on the on the little thing we had at the I guess it was a wooden cube yeah um, I looked out of the crowd I thought oh my god I can't believe how many people are here and then I just spoke from the heart and I didn't want to take too much time away because I knew that we were here to honor the dead but I just wanted to say that we were here for a peace rally and we are here to do something important and I didn't prepare my remarks I thought about preparing them and then I said to myself I'm just gonna say it from my heart say who I am and and I, I looked in the crowds and I saw my students it's a funny because I think that's you know, as a takeaway, maybe it's just because it was me, but, you know, you were there for the community, there's no doubt about it, but you really were interested in the younger people uh, taking, trying to take away a message from this event. Absolutely. I mean, I think w what people do when they're older is they forget that there are younger people. And I think having them there and having people that were actually majority Jewish, well, actually Jewish, Catholic, and Muslim was an amazing process for me. And, you know, we have to look at our mortality and we have to look at the fact that, you know, we will not be here forever. What do we leave for our kids? And not to mention my own daughter, who's 11, was in the crowd. So Absolutely. she's always a reminder of inspiration and hope in the future. I want to just let the audience hear your closing statements. They were pretty fired up. And after that, I want to ask you about um, your thoughts on the next steps uh, in terms of um, 
this issue of violence in America. I'm truly overwhelmed that you are all here. I'm overwhelmed that we have so much peace and love and hope. I want my students to see there is hope and you give them hope. I want the young people to see that we can be united. I want all faiths across the board to see we are human, we are equal, we stand together, and we, we bond together when someone else's community loses someone, when someone else's community is in despair, when someone else's community has fear. We stand out for the other, not just for ourselves. We stand for one another in the United States of America. Thank you. This is a very American message, I think. I mean, you know, we talk about the esoteric other many times, but I thought it was a very good um, red, white, and blue message, if you wanted. It's a really good American message. How did you feel about it when you were in the moment? Well, I certainly was in the moment. I didn't know I was closing, but that's fine. Um, I really believe, and I think it comes again from the heart and the soul and working so much in this kind of bringing people together, is that Muslims have to speak out against atrocities that happen with Jews, Christians, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, secularists, and vice versa. I also want to say that in my tradition, Islam, and my book was based on this, was about the idea of justice. Witnessing any injustice was the duty of Muslims to speak out. And therefore, that was the impetus. And I also want to say that I was really nervous um, because I saw more people and you know there are people crossing their roads. There's a throng. There's no doubt there was about a throng. it. And I don't do rallies. I mean I talk you know you know I do Apparently talk to Apparently you do do rallies. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I talk to 200 or 300 people at a time but that's a national like you know kind of lecture but I don't really do rallies. This is my first organized rally that I did and um, I was very nervous. I, I'm still shook. Um, well, you did an, ama an amazing job. And uh, I, I'm just so glad that we had this chance on our this episode to sort of recap what had happened tonight. It was a, it was a, a wonderful event uh, for a tragic uh, reason, no doubt. But um, you know what? Uh, at the end of the day, I... It, Having been there, I think that the community uh, walked away um, with a, a little bit more unity, uh, feeling that uh, it wasn't just them, say, in a synagogue talking about uh, how fearful they were. It was them with a Catholic college and a group of Muslims and, and everyone else uh, in Riverdale making up the difference. Um, giving them comfort and that's really at the end of the day the goal and um, 
That is the United States of America. That's the United States of America. So uh, thanks for that, and thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll be back to you soon. Uh, we have some exciting podcasts coming up. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome to the Scott and Minaj podcast. This is our 10th podcast. Um, tonight, Minaj took part in a special um, roundtable at the Teachers College, Columbia University. It was unfortunately uh, as a reaction to uh, anti-Semitic uh, events that have taken place on campus just recently. And uh, we want to talk to her about um, her role in participating. Um, it was presided over by the president of Teachers College, Thomas Bailey, and the opening remarks, which were pretty interesting, significant, was David Harris, who's the CEO of American Jewish Committee, and then it moved into the panel. Um, and Oz was joined by um, uh, a director from ADL and another gentleman who was from an interesting program here in New York called um, Facing History in Ourselves. Hi, Minaz. Hello, Scott. How are you? Good. Um, how did you see your role tonight in this uh, discussion on anti-Semitism? Well, since I was the only Muslim there, um, I think that, and the only one that really runs a Holocaust Center, and the only one that really was an academic, I thought my role was very different. I mean, I know these organizations are fantastic, uh, and I've partnered with all of them at some point. So I was very honored to be there um, and discuss the issues of the day, which are really becoming even larger issues, not just in the United States, but all over the world, and something I work on and have dedicated my life to. Can you talk a little bit about the incident that took place there that brought, out, brought about this uh, talk? Yeah, Professor Lodinsky, who is a professor of psychology um, and the Holocaust, uh, came into her office one morning two weeks ago and found swastikas on her office door, um, painted in red, and then also the word uh, J-I-D-E-G, um, yeah. which was very traumatic for her. It happened to her in 2005, but Right now, it was very frightening for her because of the loss of lives in Pittsburgh just two weeks before that. Yeah. I think what I took away from the discussions that and it was driven home by David Harris is that uh, there's a mounting, um, a mounting uh, episodes of anti-Semitism here and worldwide. And you guys talked about that a little bit, but some of the reasons, um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it started uh, here in this, uh, so there are two separate issues, um, but there's one large kind of common issue. The issue for the United States is the uh, emergence again of alt-right groups in the last, not just year or two, but actually the last 10 years. Um, I remember being at a conference in Arizona where there was an expert who deals with hate groups and was talking about this at that point. Um, and that was about three, four years ago, mm -hmm. that somehow the hate groups online, uh, hate groups all over in the United States have incre had increased at that point by 200%. So one of the problems that we're having here nationally is that a lot of hate groups feel like it's okay 
to uh, be racist and prejudice. Um, there's a movement uh, that's anti-immigrant, that's anti any person who's a minority in the country. Um, so that's one thing. And the alt-right movement, their basis for uh, being anti-Semitic is that the Jews are basically going to conspire and take over, and also how the Jews are really the minority in the brown uh, race that will destroy the white race. The uh, representative and from Facing History and Ourselves, he was a primary school teacher, and he was talking about uh, how a lot of ways the students have... Um, discovering anti-Semitism or racism in general is just, you know, them just asking questions because they're just exploring the unknown. But uh, from higher education level, what, what what are you seeing in classrooms in terms of how prejudice is manifesting itself? I mean, there's a couple of things. I mean, one is this move for nationalism. The nationalism is, in the United States, um, entwined with whiteness. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's always been tension in terms of whiteness and anything else outside of whiteness. So I think one of the things that happens in the classroom is, for example, I get worse evaluations, which are mainly Islamophobic or sexist because of my race or my religion and also my gender. <clears throat> so there is a certain kind of openness about that. So we, we have certain challenges. Um, Manhattan College really doesn't have that many. Um, our kids are, you know, pretty much Lasallian, which means we work on social justice issues. We have um, zero tolerance policy for racism. Um, but I think what's happening, and I want to go back to the last point, is that there is this uh, movement, not just in the United States, in the classrooms, but also in Europe, um, that is again geared towards nationalism uh, with the influx of immigrants and the fear that it causes in people who are thinking that they are native to their land and their land or their economy is going to be taken over by this small little minority. Yeah. Um, there was a, a lot of discussion about uh, what we can do and how the people in the, like, in the audience can take some action. And uh, the other two speakers were talking about, you know, the usual things, you know, collaborating with other groups and people talking together but you had a really interesting point about where you think at least in um, educational facilities what the, the the core of the problem is could you talk to that yeah I mean I think that on campuses and higher ed and even in schools and different institutions there's a lack of leadership um, and what I mean by that is that if you set up certain principles, um, for example, we're a private college, and so we could have our own principles and laws and legality about racism and prejudice, I think other institutions have to follow. They have to say, okay, this is a campus. You can sit here and you could disagree with me on justice matters, on race, racial issues, on, for example, for tonight, Israel and Palestine, but yet you cannot espouse hate. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that is a leadership issue. There should be no tolerance for hate, period. Um, it doesn't mean you can't say how you feel and debate, but to you know cause fear in a community or pick up guns and shoot people because they are minorities is completely unacceptable. I think that uh, <laughs> I think that the groups like this, especially ones that are going to be 
you know, certainly a lot of Jewish folks there are fascinated to see a Muslim, especially in your unique position, talking about anti-Semitism, talking about Auschwitz. But uh, maybe you can talk about the challenges of uh, anti-Semitism in the Muslim world in particular, because that's one of the areas you specialize in. Right. I mean, there is a certain scapegoating of Jews in, in many countries, Muslim countries around the world, comes really from ignorance and myths that were created that are now facts. So one of the things we have to keep in mind is what stories get told from, from the past generations to the future generation and what compels them to do that. And I think that the Muslim world is very highly politicized in many ways. Uh, with One, with their internal problems with their own extremism. Two, is um, being seen as defeated um, and not having enough power in the world. And that gets transferred to Jews, which is the old European anti-Semitism that has seeped into the Arab world and then of course the Asian and the African world. So I, I think, you know, I've worked with Muslims and talked to Muslims here in the United States and also abroad in Europe where you can actually facilitate dialogue and conversation once you start talking about their pain and also looking at someone else's pain in different historical moments and cycle. The um, AJC CEO, David Harris, talked to, he gave an anecdotal um, story about uh, their work with Helmut Kohl and early on in Germany talking about, uh, again, the rise of anti-Semitism. And one of the things that uh, Helmut Kohl had said, amongst others, was that they felt that uh, the rise of anti-Semitism was due in large part to immigrant populations, that is the Muslim populations. Now, do you buy that, that uh, the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe is in large part due to immigrants? I think some of it is, and unfortunately the killings in Paris have been done by Muslims, um, not all of them, but majority of them. I want to say one thing, I think one inaccuracy, um, or maybe I would debate this with David Harris, is that it's really not the new immigrants that are bringing this anti-Semitism, it's the older immigrants that have been there since the 50s and 60s. and that's. And this is not a justification at all, but it's also because they've been ghettoized and they see the Jews as assimilated and, and much more um, successful than they are. And so I think that is part of the problem in places like France and Germany. Uh, but it's not, it's not the new immigrants that are creating this so much. Um, the new immigrants are coming and transporting their ideologies from from their countries into Europe. <clears throat> and I have people who are working on that. But I think it's really something we have to really deconstruct in the Muslim communities all over the world. Um, I think that what happens here in the United States is, is a real possibility where Jews and Muslims can actually sit down and talk and also talk about Israel and Palestine. It's The problem is the politicization of Israel um, and also the way that Israel is perceived in the Arab world and in the media. Well, there was a lot of talk about depoliticizing anti-Semitism tonight. Um, I guess the idea being, uh, you know, you can get anti-Semitism from the left and the right. And so keeping it political is really not helping in situations, especially when people are dying for being who they are. Um, 
but in terms of Europe, um, what political forces are, are driving, uh, I'll say Europe and America, what political forces are driving uh, anti-Semitism, if, uh, if any? Well, I mean, there are groups, there are different organizations. In Europe, you have uh, so-called neo-Nazis, and then here you have the alt-right. And then you also have the left, the very left, which are very anti-Israel, um, calling them you know, an apartheid state, um, calling for BDS, boycott, divestment mm -hmm. sanctions. And <clears throat> regardless of your criticism of Israel and its policies, I think you have to keep in mind that anti-Semitism is defined that if you make all Jews culpable for what Israel does to the Palestinians or the Palestinian territories uh, is anti-Semitic. Now, you made a point that in America there was more anti-Semitism than there was Islamophobia. Why was it important for you to bring up that point? I think it was important for me because um, I, I wanted the Muslims, if any, in the audience to understand that. Mm -hmm. Because I think even here there is this feeling of if there is anti-Semitism in America, it comes from the fueling of them being in Congress and taking over and lobbying and running the administration and running companies and the film industry. And what I want them to understand is that say that was true, which a lot of it is myth. Some of it, of course, Jews are successful, just like Muslims are, that they should really look at themselves before they start to feel victimized, that there are other communities um, like Jews. I mean, we could have had a conversation about African-Americans um, that would go beyond. I did try and touch on genocide here in this country and also slavery. Well, just to finish off, I mean, does um, the world of anti-Semitism and Islamophobia, I don't know, share a common cause or is it from your perspective coming from different places? It comes from different places. Um, <clears throat> you know, th uh, the history of the two are very different. Um, but it's it has this kind of the one thing that I think would be common is scapegoating the minority um, And also looking at the minority as a threat to their community uh, Which Jews are seen as such and Muslims are seen as such. So I think there are different ways of looking at it anti-semitism of course has a longer history because Jews have been around, but also, you know, Islamophobia comes from Orientalism and prejudice against Arabs and also the kind of, um, you know, still the memory of Christian and Muslim empires uh, not getting along. Um, <clears throat> and Jews never had an empire. I mean, that's something we have to think about. There were never really one colossal nation or state or empire. So I think they're different, but they also result in very similar fears. Um, and also result in the same thing like, you know, stereotyping physical appearances of Jews or Muslims. Yeah. Um, this becomes a repetitive theme in terms of hate of anybody. Um, for example, African Americans, we have so many depictions of what they look like. Um, and we sort of fall into that trap of the mythology of color. Color kind of codes everything, big, small, round, square. And so I think we have to be careful with how we look at these different types of prejudices in their history. Well, there's so much work to be done still, but um, thanks for talking about your evening tonight. And um, we hope you keep listening.
And uh, I think our next podcast will be from somewhere near, maybe Poland. Yep. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thank you.